It's a privilege. It's a very, uh, very great privilege to be here. And I want to thank my family also for coming. I got excellent, four excellent kids that really love Jesus sitting over there and uh, with their wives. So God, God bless you, boys. My wife and I, for 38 years, we just love Jesus with all our heart. And you're going to hear a little bit of that testimony, but I want to pray. Father, Help us to be real. There's so much, Lord God, in Christianity today that isn't real. But this morning, I pray for reality to hit our hearts, to grow us up, to mature us to a place today, Lord, where our hearts are changed and our minds are transformed so we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God to the rest of the world. We are the church. We're the people that love God. And we love one another. And they will know that we're Christians by the love that we have one for another. So bless this service today in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. amen. December and January of 2015 and 16, I had three dreams. And in these three dreams that I was having, I found myself on the ground. And I was, thank you. I actually, I do, I do sit down quite a bit. So that's, that was the Lord right there. <laughs> Aren't these guys good? I've been asked this morning about 50 times, anything we can get you? Like, no. Then some guy upstairs said, well, would you like an E6? And I thought it was a Mercedes. <laughs> well, you guys are really good. So you bet. And it was a microphone. But... So in these dreams, I found myself laying on the ground, and I was in a, a puddle of blood, my own blood, and I couldn't get up, and I knew that I had uh, been hurt really bad. And these dreams, three different sets of dreams, were all the same. I could see the lower parts of people, their legs, their shoes, but I couldn't lift my head to even see who they were that was around me. And after three of these dreams, I decided to go and tell the congregation that I had these dreams and they weren't good. And I told the congregation, I think one day I'm probably going to get shot right here. And sure enough, <laughs> I hate dreams. When I dream, usually it comes out. I don't, I'm not a guy that dreams. And when I dream, most of those dreams uh, come true. And so I'm like one of those guys. And people ask me, you know, oh, have you dreamed lately? Or what are you dreaming about? Don't worry, I'm not like that. It's just when, I, when the Lord gives me something, normally it, it comes true. And so I knew something was going to happen. I just didn't know when. I didn't know how. But I found myself on the ground in my own puddle of blood. And then on March 6th, 2016, sure enough, it came true. Three months later, I found myself just as I dreamed it. It was the Lord trying to prepare me for something. These dreams were there to prepare me. 
Now, most of you, are, I, I, I guarantee you, you're never going to be prepared to be shot. I mean, you don't sit there and go, okay, I wonder if this is going to hurt, you know, hit me here, wherever. You're, you're, you're going down, and it's going to hurt. But before I get into all of that, my wife and I have been in ministry for many, many, many years. And we've been through a lot in our ministry. Started out with a coffee house down in Southern California in a street ministry. So we spent most of our lives on the street just trying to preach the gospel to people in the Santa Ana Riverbeds and in San Bernardino, Riverside, California. I served on the chaplaincy down there and the uh, occult hotline that was down there. And so my wife and I were always on the street doing something for Jesus or having them come to the coffee house that we had. When we moved up here, then we kind of wanted to get away from a certain thing that we were doing down there because it was really scary. So we kind of moved up here and thought we'd relax a little bit and we jumped right back into the ministry again uh, to try to help addicts because we realized that addicts were everywhere and it's a ministry that nobody was really touching. And so, of course, everybody knows that turned into Good Samaritan Rehabilitation. And we're over uh, 2,500 people, local people at this point, that we have been able to minister to. My wife and I personally have had over 600 people stay in our home. And I want to praise God that my, my four children that are here, Gracie came in. She's in the back back there. Raise your hand, Gracie. That's my daughter back there and her husband. I love you, sweetheart. But... <laughs> They, they have allowed us to have over 600 people stay in our home and, uh, and live with them through the years. And believe it or not, we enjoyed it. It was hard sometimes, but we enjoyed it. It was ministry. People were coming to Jesus. And some of that was pretty dangerous. Some of that was dealing with people that you couldn't trust, obviously. Uh, a lot of, lot of that were meth addicts and heroin addicts. And, and we love to speak in their life. Many people have asked us, how do you know that that's what God wanted you to do? How do you know that God is speaking to you? How do you know the voice of the Lord? And for me, it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy for me. When I know, the Bible says, that sin, to them that know it to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so, to me, it's pretty black and white. Does somebody need help? Yeah, got to help them. Got to help them. Well, yeah, but you got to be careful, Pastor Tim, because your kids, they're going to they're gonna get hurt. I mean, they could get raped. They could get drugs. Somebody's going to give them alcohol. They're going to get this. And, well, yeah, but they're going to get it out in the world anyway. And so... Let's bring them into the house and depend on the Lord. And we've depended on the Lord for absolutely everything. My four children are here serving the Lord today. Because I believe that first, we serve God with all of our hearts. I've looked in scripture all over the place to try to figure out where we come up sometimes with the idea that we have to 
And I'm going to be very careful to say this. We have to make sure and put our family first and be careful of our families. And, you know, if I remember right in the book of Acts, they walked away from everything obeying Jesus and God protect their families. I don't know what happened to Peter's wife. He's got a mother-in-law. But I don't know what happened to the wife when Peter went off to serve the Lord because I serve God first. God first. And then he will protect my family. So I tell everybody, it is God that has protected my family through the years. Amen? Now, I remember preaching up in Cataldo. We met in a school up there for 12 years. And while I was preaching up there, there was a guy that was sitting next to the back door. And I was preaching against sin. We were talking about fornication and adultery. And he's next to the back door back there, and he... He hollers out right in the middle of the service and says, you're full of, you know what? And I just kept on preaching. But when the service was over, walked out the door and he put a 30 odd six to me. And we were able to talk to him, minister to him a little bit, tell him to put it down. And eventually it took about a half hour to do it. But eventually he put it down later on in life. Uh, he did get saved, praise the Lord. So I've been in the position to where, yikes, this is, man, this ministry stuff isn't what the colleges teach you, that's for sure. <laughs> in my past, I watched Christians come together in fellowship. I watched what it was. And to me, being raised in a Christian home with a very loving family, I still saw Christianity as hypocrisy. The people that I, I saw in the church, the pastors that I saw coming in and out of the church, everyone was afraid to do ministry. Nobody really wanted to go out. It was a fellowship that was comfortable, uh, but it wasn't. Christianity in my eyes and I didn't want to be like that when I took off out of here on my way to California I had already been to California I came back up here but got my van and I was on my way back to California and on the way back I decided that I really didn't like any of it I thought most people were selfish that Christians were still selfish it wasn't about God it was about them everything that they did they did to make themselves look better to make the church look better to grow money to grow things to grow and I looked at it and I thought man I just don't want anything to do with that and I don't know if it was depression or something I was uh, at that point I wasn't a Christian I was a drinker at that time and I decided uh, there's a little place on the Oregon coast called the Devil's Churn. They made a rest area out of it. That's cool. Where I got saved, they made a rest area out of that. So you guys can pull over and rest too. And I pulled over there and I remember thinking, okay, I am so sick of this. It's still to me, it doesn't line up with this. Why in the book of Acts were all these things happening? Why were people radically changed and they're absolutely converted and transformed? And yet the church 
It's not transformed. We're just a good fellowship. We like to drink coffee together. We do all of these things. And, and so for me, I'd had enough. And I said, Lord, if you're real, which I know you are, I want you to come into my life for real. I want you to do something absolutely real in my life. Now, remember, I was raised in a good Christian home. My sister is right here in the front row with my wife, Lori. Uh, she's a great sister. I got a great family. But something was wrong in my heart. It was still vacant of a born-again experience. And when I pulled over and said that, it's okay, Lord, if you do it, then I will be a Jesus freak for you for the rest of my life. And if you don't, I'm done. And I put my head on the steering wheel of an old 69 Dodge van. It had stars and moons and stripes all over it. It said fantastic on the back. <laughs> Something that J.O. would drive around. <laughs> And before I could get the word Lord out, I was born again. I didn't have to say anything. The Lord made sure of that because he wanted me to know that it had nothing to do with the words that I said. Nothing to do with how elaborate my prayer was. It was a heart condition. And when I put my head on the steering wheel, it was all done. And I rose up out of there. I went to... Uh, Redding, California, from there, and I called my mom and told her that I had been saved at the Denny's right there in Redding. So, in fact, last time we drove through Redding, we stopped by Denny's, and I called my mom from there. And So, for me, I'm a very black and white individual. I see Christians as Christians. I see the world as the world. I should be able to know that you're a Christian, or you're in the world. And I've been in Shortridge and I have been in a group on a Friday morning, 6 o'clock, for years and years, and I was always black and white. They'd get in these conversations. Well, what about this? I said, no, we're Christians. We don't do that stuff. We love Jesus with all of our heart, very black and white. I knew when I got saved that it was different. Now, I, I'm going to tell you something that I have learned just recently from a guy from India. The Holy Spirit, and I said this to J.O. Before, uh, before the service today, or somebody, I think it was J.O. or Steve, but oh, it was Steve. The Holy Spirit comes in our life as a comforter, and we know that, but let me enlighten you on something. The Holy Spirit came into your life to kill you. How does that make you feel? It's what he did. The Holy Spirit is in your life to kill you. Yes, he makes you alive, but he makes you alive new. He kills the old, brings in the new. And it's hard to die. It's hard to die. It doesn't feel good to die. But the Holy Spirit came in my life and killed me. And I praise him for it and I thank him for it. Because I don't want the old at all. I left it. Right there at the devil's churn. And I was a believer. 
So I want you to remember today that the Holy Spirit is in your life to kill you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I don't need to tell most of you what even this says. But therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So why do we have a problem with that? You say, oh, it's a transition that I'm going through. No, kill it. I'm serious. Kill it. Well, you don't, underst- you don't understand, Pastor. Why is it they, they always tell the pastors that we don't understand? We don't understand. Oh, that's what all the addicts always tell. Oh, you don't understand, Pastor, how hard it is to... Boy, yeah, life's been so easy for me, too. I found it to be easy to be born again if you allow the Holy Spirit to kill you off. Now, Pastor J.O. came to our church. He preached a great message. I'll always remember it. STP. Has he ever taught that here? The message on STP? He should. He should. They, have, they need a little rag up here for you just to constantly just wipe the sweat off of you all the time. But maybe it's just cooler in this church or something, but man, he was dripping all over the place. <laughs> Clean the carpets behind him. <laughs> STP, storm, tribulation, and pain. And he said, you're going to go through the storms. You're going to go through the tribulations. You're going to go through the pain. And it's STP. And we remembered STP because it used to be a symbol for the oil that we that we use. So nowadays, the millennials don't even know what STP is. But But I've got an acronym for you this morning, and I hope all of you catch it. It's STDs. And I want you to remember it. And I hope all of you leave with this. If you want, you could turn your neighbor and give him a great big old hug. But if you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you want to hear the voice of the Lord, you need STDs. The first one, S, study. Study. He's already told you what to do. You want to hear the voice of the Lord? He's already told you. What are you waiting for? On a serious note, he's already spoke to you through his word. The main problem is we don't study it, we don't know it, and we don't obey it when we do read it. And number two, T, S-T, it's time with Jesus. We spend time with everything else. We spend time working. We spend time going out for coffee. We spend time in front of the TV. We spend time doing all of this stuff. But how much time do you spend with your head and your heart focused on Jesus and what he wants for your life? Everybody wants to hear from God in this audible voice. And God said. And everybody's going, yes, Lord. Yes. I'm listening. In my word, (laughs) I 
don't want to read it. Can't you just tell me? Time with Jesus, private time, intimacy with God is a rare thing in the church. We wonder why very few enter in, and it's because very few actually get to know Jesus for who he really is. The D, determination. It's funny, we're determined to get a good job. We're determined to be successful. We're determined to find a good mate while we're here. We're determined to do all of these things. But when you are determined to hear from God, when you're determined to walk with God, when you are determined to act like God, when you're determined to take on the character of Christ, then you'll get it when you're determined to get it. If you're determined to be somebody in the world, then you will be somebody in the world, but you will miss out on God. And the last one is S, because... It's not just STD, it's STDs. There's many of them. So the S on the end of that is to stand. Ephesians chapter 6, wherefore... Taking to you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is righteous acts. So you stand and do the right thing. When it's hard, you do the right thing. When it's difficult and you're going through a trial, do the right thing. We quote this a lot. 2 Corinthians 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and they turn from their evil ways, then what's going to happen? He's going to hear from heaven. You understand that first there's an if at the beginning of that. Before he heals our land, before he touches your life, there's an if at the very beginning of that. If my people do this, has America turned from their evil way? Have we as a church shown America how to turn from our evil ways? See, the if is there because the Lord knows that most people will not study his word, take the time to get to know Christ, and they lack determination to go after Christ. Thus, they will not be able to stand in that day. The Lord says, then shall you call upon me. You shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. There's a point to where we as Christians need to start asking God. We need to start going after God. We need to start asking, what would you like in my life? They got a little countdown thing in the back I got to pay attention to. (laughs) When it hits zero, the media booth is going (laughs) to... Mission impossible. Job, in all of the trials that he went through, in chapter 30, verse 26, he says, When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. Now, I'm going to relate this to the church. When I waited for the light, 
there came darkness. In other words, I kept trying to do what is right. And every time I kept trying to do what is right and see what is good, then all of these other things kept coming at me. Darkness started coming to me. When you're doing something good for the Lord, don't think that it's going to be this easy ride out of here. You're going to get it. And some of you have. Hearing the voice of the Lord, it's tough. But unless you have those STDs, you're never going to be infectious to the rest of the world. So now when you walk out of here, just it's real easy. Just walk up to some of your friends and say, pray for me. I got STDs, man. <laughs> Psalm 66 and 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We often wonder, why doesn't the Lord talk to me? Why doesn't he hear me? I keep asking the Lord for this and I don't get anything. Why is that? It's funny. We don't want that verse put up on our fridge or on our wall. Why is that? It's scripture because we don't like to admit that maybe I'm regarding iniquity in my heart, that maybe there's something there. I haven't forgiven somebody. I hate somebody. I've, I've done somebody wrong. I never made it right. And you just kind of skipped over it thinking, Lord, that's done. It's in the past. I don't have to deal with it anymore. Now, after I had these dreams, I knew in my heart that something was going to happen to me. And on March 6th, early afternoon, it did. But the Lord was strong that day. When you look at the cameras afterwards in our church, I'm just going to give a little testimony of how this worked. But I normally park in front of the church. But that day, I parked over on the side. I don't know why. It happens to be that that camera that was in the front of the church quit working that day. So I parked over on that side. But I didn't know. I didn't know about the camera at the time. When you look at the cameras, you find that I'm looking over these pies at a pie social that we were having. It was an auction of these pies that were there. You could buy the pies. And behind me, about five feet, Kyle was behind me. He had his hand right here on a weapon. And my son, Jeremiah, you could see him in the video, walk by with my grandchildren between us. And so let me tell you something. I have no complaints because I see the mercy of God all over that day. Came to the service that day. I never met him. It all happened through some texts from John Padula's here this morning from John and, and, uh, and, and him. And he didn't even know it was him at the time. But John and I were on his list as reptilians, aliens. Weird, huh? I mean, I could see looking at John. That's... <laughs> but not me. And so after the service was over, he was waiting outside. And I praised God that it did not happen on the inside of the church where somebody could have got hurt. Yeah. 
And so I'm talking to my youngest son, Jaden, on the phone, trying to figure out where we're going to have lunch. And I reach to get into my car. And the next three and a half seconds changed my life. In three and a half seconds, 12 feet behind me, he got off 12 rounds with a 45 hollow point. Just like that. And the first one thrust me into my car so bad that it bruised the whole front of me. And in my mind, I could hear the noise going on. And I knew at that point, I'm getting shot. Who'd shoot me? The first one, right here, my back. The second one, right here, lower part of my back. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, went through the right side of my body. One of them skimmed off of my shoulder, hit me right in the head. There's two bullets that the 700 Club and everybody didn't even mention. I think they didn't want to over-spiritualize something. I don't know what that even means, but if they're Christians. But let me tell you what God did. Eric Paul was one of the first responders, and Officer Cantrell was there. Officer Cantrell had his fingers stuck in the bullet holes because it was like a pitcher that just dumped over, and I lost nine out of ten units of blood out of my body. And so Officer Cantrell had his fingers in there trying to stop the bleeding, and Eric Paul was trying to figure out what was going on, and, and they started cutting the jacket, and they realized that I had a hole through my jacket right here. And underneath that hole next to my shirt was a bullet that had been completely blossomed out, and it stopped at my shirt and never went through. There's two bullets that are really, really, really flat. One of them is that one, which means it hits something harder than my fat. <laughs> Another bullet. I heard them literally yell this when they flip me over onto that hard board, getting ready to, to haul me really quick. They said, he's got a bullet in his suit pocket. And it was a bullet that just missed the, whatever that is, on the jacket right there. It went in and stopped. Landed in my pocket. Now, I'm not the man of steel. I know some of you are questioning that, but really. But it was in my pocket. That's a miracle. Both of these were heartbound, and they were absolutely stopped. As I lay on the ground, I knew, of course, that I had been shot, and I thought that my, my body was burning. I thought that somebody had lit me on fire. So I couldn't really see all that much because I had so much blood. Head wounds just leave so much blood that my face was covered and I couldn't open my eyes. And, and uh, now some of the things that really affected me while I was there is my youngest son had come back to the site. There's, he's the only one that actually saw me there. 
One son was four, uh, four hours away. The other ones were running to the hospital uh, to meet me there. But Jaden actually drove back to the site and, and uh, hollered out. Where he said, that's my dad. But they made a crime site out of it. And so he couldn't get close. And one of the things that affected me the most is that I couldn't, couldn't see my boy. I wouldn't let him near me. And I thought I was going. And so it's just like, at least let me. Eric Paul rolled me over onto my back and I couldn't breathe because one of the bullets that went through took out the lining of my right lung. And so I was going, <laughs> like they're just trying to get any air because the other air from this had filled my chest cavity and I couldn't, couldn't expand my lungs. So Eric Paul looks at me and he brings out this needle. It's big. <laughs> he says, Pastor Tim, I'm going to make you feel better. I got to jab this through your chest. <laughs> now, remember, I thought I was going to die. And so for me, I thought if I'm going to die, I might as well joke or something. The pain, like I said, I was on fire. I literally felt like I was just burning. Somebody lit me on fire. And he takes this thing and he goes right through my chest. And you could hear this just coming out of my chest. And I could finally breathe. As I lay there thinking that I was going to die, I was not afraid to die. It really wasn't. I wasn't angry at the person that shot me. Not one time have I got angry with Kyle Odom. Not once. I love Kyle Odom. I went and saw Kyle Odom. I talked to Kyle Odom. Kyle Odom, something happened to him when he got into meditation. It's what happens all over the place. We get into it lightly. Starts out with a little yoga goes into this, goes into this, and the church needs to be careful that we don't get ourselves into something we're not supposed to be involved with. But for him, he got into this meditation. And when you get into Eastern religion meditation, oh, you bet you'll be able to sleep. He hadn't slept for a while. He got back from Afghanistan, never got the help that he needed. And so he decided, I'm just going to try to meditate so I could sleep. This guy was a genius of a kid. He doesn't have mental problems. That wasn't the problem. What he had was a spirit problem. And I love his family and I love him. So I'm not even, I'm not thrashing this guy at all. I'm telling you that even being raised in a Christian home, he sought out other things to make him feel better. And that night he went to sleep and he said, I slept so good that night, Pastor Tim. So then I woke up the next morning, he said, everything was different. The bedroom was different. The outside was different. My parents were different. And I had this information that was being given to me that came from another source. And I knew that it was the truth. And you were an alien. He said, you actually blink like this. Instead of your eyes went like this. He drew a picture of me. Didn't even look like me. Look just like an alien. <laughs> be praying for his salvation. Hopefully I'm going to be going down and having another visit with him. But I believe that all of this happened for a reason. Immediately I forgave him. 
They had a prayer vigil. The hospital was so full of people that they had to do something because when you got 300 people in the hall up to the cafeteria, they have to get them over to somewhere and they took them to a prayer vigil and the prayer vigil was packed and all of a sudden the prayers of Coeur d'Alene started going up to the Lord. And all over the U.S. and all over the world, they started praying for me and things started happening. But for four days... Something was going on in my life for four days when I was down. And I didn't see a bright light. I didn't see Jesus. I saw darkness. I saw evil. I saw perversion. They were coming at me with knives. They were coming at me with swords. They were coming at me with perverted things. And I kept asking the Lord, why is this happening? I was in this grid and it was like a puzzle. And I couldn't see the light on the other side at all. And as, as I was in this place, I kept asking the Lord, please, this is horrible. I don't want to be here. What is going on? Because for four days, he didn't know where I, where I was going, what was happening in my life. At the end of that four days, I had this like saran wrap around me. And it was all wrinkled and really light. Anybody you think could have penetrated it. But it was like this invisible little wavy thing that was around me. And all of these things would come at me and then they'd veer off like sharks. And then they'd veer off and veer off. And I thought, this is crazy. They're still wanting to kill me. And I could see these spiritual things coming against me. Finally, the Lord asked me what I wanted to do. And it was easy for me. I know that my families, they're raised. They love Jesus. I said, I'm ready to go. I want to go to heaven. I want to leave. And then something happened to me right then. I found myself crying and repenting before the Lord. And he brought me back to the day that I gave my life to him. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I told him my life belonged to him. It is not my will. It's his will to be done. And I told the Lord at that point, okay, Lord, man, if you want me to stay, then I'll stay. If you want me to go, then I'll go. Not my will, but your will. And immediately that little wavy saran wrap, it went tight like a bubble and I heard this really low roar like somebody hitting the bass note on a synthesizer and rocking the seats of the place. And this voice went out and said, that's enough. And then everything stopped. The grid that was up there, the puzzle fell apart. And all of a sudden, the charts in the hospital went up. And I knew that I was going to live. There's a reason, folks, things happen to you. You want to hear from the Lord? Be ready to hear from the Lord. I hope you don't get shot to try to hear, but... You see, I know that God hears the cries of his people. But the real miracle in all of this, real miracles, a lot of people concentrate on arms growing out, people that see the lame to walk. How about the soul that was saved? That's the greatest miracle to bring you from this earth to heaven. The real miracle is I forgave Kyle right away. Nobody had to tell me to do that. I know now what Paul meant when he said, it is not me, but it is Christ that lives within me. 
Because otherwise, me, my boys, I know that they would have been really mad. They would have went after him. But God touched my family. God touched my wife. God touched my mother. The only thing that upset my mother, she said, she was sitting out in the emergency and she watched them hosing out the, hot, the, the ambulance. And my blood was being spilled on the ground going down the drain. And that made her angry. The miracle of my body, the two bullets not even going in. You know, in James it says that ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. In America, we want, we want, we want, we want. We're entitled. Shame on us. In closing, James chapter 5 and verse 16. I want you to hear the beginning of this. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And then it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you know why I'm standing up here? They told me in the very beginning they didn't know if I was going to walk. Three months later, I was preaching. They told me that I would never went to the neurologist with my mother. And right there in front of my mother, he said, don't even think about playing the piano again. And I'm playing the piano again. The doctors want to tell you what's wrong with you. The enemy wants to remind you what's wrong with you. But I am telling you that when God is for you, who can be against you? They don't know of anybody else right now that has survived that many hollow points from a 45. And I am here to tell you that for me, I thought my head was completely blown off when they hit me in the head. I thought, man, my head, I'm like, I'm, I don't know where my body is. But. And yet, the Lord says, Tim, I got you. I'm going to do something with you. If you're here this morning, let me tell you something. You want to hear from God? Then it's time to die. It's time to die. There's so much I could tell you about the testimony of what's went on all over the world. People coming to Jesus. I was lying in the bed. I wasn't even preaching. And people are coming to Jesus and they're getting saved. I don't know why they're getting saved. It's the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with us. It's the Holy Spirit. But somehow me forgiving this man healed churches that were out there that were going through problems of bitterness. So... Are you willing to die? Are you willing to suffer for the gospel's sake? Are you willing to live for Christ? To die is gain and count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations that the trying of your faith worketh patience? Are you that type of a Christian?